Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how are you this week? I'm doing well. I know it's spring break for you and uh, your kiddos over in North Carolina. I, I know you don't get spring break off at the, the seminary. Well, during breaks, the offices aren't all closed except at Christmas. But even with classes, uh, we're one, we're always one week off. So uh, we are back in session this week, and the kids are, are out of school. So they're having a lot of fun. That's good. That's good. Uh, I guess Easter was a good holiday for you guys. It, it was very nice. Uh, we actually traveled a little bit on Easter because with it being a break, one of our kids went to the grandparents, so we did kind of a delivery and uh, spent a lot of, of Easter Sunday on the road in the afternoon, but just some nice time as a family. So it was good. How about you? Yeah, pretty good one, too. We had a great crowd Sunday at church. Uh, things mm-hmm. went well. Uh, the children's ministry was fully staffed, so that was, that was good. Made my life uh, a lot easier. Our service, uh, they, they didn't have nursery because we had sort of a joint service, yeah. all the all the different nine o'clock, eleven o'clock, five o'clock services, everyone together, and uh, so it actually was a really beautiful sound because you heard all these babies, and you know, I I kind of enjoyed it. I liked it. All right. Well, speaking of Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to lead off with some big news from Bellevue Baptist over in Memphis, Tennessee. This wow, past weekend, this nuts. a heavily armed man was subdued and arrested trying to uh, come into the church on Sunday morning. Yeah, this was really kind of a wild story, and it and it it sort of trickled out. There was an announcement um, on social media that from Bellevue's accounts, very very careful, very brief. And so at first, when you see that, you're not really sure what exactly happened or why they had to had to put something out there. And then you started to realize, I mean, this was sort of a big deal, and the local news media was tracking it and. It was a much bigger thing than I even realized at the beginning. But what I saw in the end when you hear the whole thing is that it's a it's a picture of a church really handling a tough situation very, very well. Yeah, and it, it appeared uh, that the the folks at Bellevue, the security team there, they, they saw what was going on. They really handled this well. And uh, kudos to them for you know making this not what it could have been. I guess, and uh, and doing a good job of keeping everybody safe at Bellevue. This is going to be an increasing issue, I think, as we, we see things go on around the country. And uh, this is something, we've got a, an article about church security as well. Chris Hefner, pastor in your neck of the woods at Wilkesboro Baptist Church in North Carolina, uh, wrote this week on church security and, and kind of the balance between uh, security and churches being a safe haven for sinners, but not an easy and soft target for those looking to do damage. So uh, we encourage you to check that out as well. Yeah. All right, moving on down into Alabama, a, a public case of church discipline, Amy. Uh, not something that we see very often. Yeah, very public. Um, this is the First Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa has exercised church discipline on the governor of Alabama. Yeah, he. Uh, if you haven't been following this, the governor of Alabama, his wife had filed for divorce recently, and things just kind of keep coming out. It appears that he had a, uh, a relationship with a staffer, and the uh, First Baptist Church senior pastor uh, said that while church discipline is a church family matter, both Governor Bentley and Miss Rebecca Mason, the, uh, the former staffer, are no longer members of First Baptist Church Tuscaloosa. So they have... Uh, discontinued their membership, put them in church discipline, and uh, just kind of a strange thing. You, you don't see this happening, this public, very often, right. but you also don't have a, a governor of a state involved in these kind of things very often either. Yeah, so this is, and, and since this is a high-profile individual, it gets a lot more 
uh, media attention, but it is something that unfortunately we just have to have to deal with at times. Yes, and uh, moving on now to some new life air research. I know uh, we are always big fans of life air research, and there's a lot of religious liberty things going on in the news. Uh, we have uh, articles on the website in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. And even the Supreme Court had a, a, a release this past week on the uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor case that we had discussed. But some right. new research from Lifeway Research about religious liberty. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and it had kind of two two things that really rose to the top. One is um, a growing number of Americans say that they believe religious liberty is on the decline and that Christians face a growing intolerance. But it also noted that American Christians uh, complain too much, just to be straightforward about it. So 63% said in this survey of 1,000 Americans, um, said that Christians face increasing intolerance. Now, the reason we know that this has kind of grown is they did this same survey uh, two years before, and it's sort of a comparison between 2013 and 2015. So so in 2015, 63% of those surveyed say Christians face increasing intolerance. That's up from 50% in 2013. And a similar number, 60% say religious liberty is on the decline. 54% had said it two years before. But they asked the question, do American Christians complain too much about how they're treated? And that's up too. It was 34% in 2013. Now it's up to 43%. Doesn't that make sense though? I mean, if the religious liberty is on a decline and they're facing increasing tolerance, won't the complaints about that be more evident? Yeah, I guess so. I think that the wording of the question, they say complain too much. So it's, it's interesting that people would say, yeah, Christians do face increasing intolerance. Um, it is real. They're saying this this is actually real. Religious liberty is on the decline, but more people seem to, you know, say complain too much, which this matches some of what I will see sort of anecdotally on social media because you you can see um, an increase in the stories on on issues of religious liberty, a lot of talk about it, but you also see folks saying, that saying just that that it, that the complaints are are too great. You'll see that a lot around Christmas time, uh, with the the kind of happy holidays discussion that always seems to to pop up, and people will will point to that. Um, and I think it's always good for us to be reminded that while religious liberty may be on the decline here, we also know that there are places around the world, and we do not face the problems that they have. And I think that's where some of that. Uh, complaining too much idea comes from, um, but it's just it's just very interesting. Also, they broke they did break it down uh, it, that non Christians are not as convinced about this. Less than half of uh, people who are from other faiths or who identify as the nuns, um, less than half said that intolerance toward Christians has increased, um, whereas seventy percent of Christians said that there was more intolerance. So it's just an interesting thing because as we see more stories on this, we have the data to back it up that people are beginning to feel this. And that was evident in the news this week. Georgia Governor Nathan Deal rejected a bill that was passed to him on religious liberty, and there has been a lot of media coverage of that, as well as a bathroom ordinance in North Carolina and a proposed South Carolina 
uh, refugee registry. Uh, that also, right. all three of these issues going on on the, the eastern seaboard over there, all have garnered a lot of media attention this past week. And then on top of that, you have the Supreme Court uh, and the Little Sisters of the Poor case that, that's kind of going back and forth from the Supreme Court as well. Right. And one thing that is interesting and telling to us is that when we want to talk about the issue of religious liberty, it's a very, very broad issue. Yes. And a number a lot of, of things. Yes, a number of ways in which we express um, our beliefs and in which we live out our faith kind of fall under this, fall under this uh, freedom to worship. And so in South Carolina, it's dealing with refugees. In North Carolina, it's dealing very specifically with the um, transgender discussion. Uh, in Georgia, it's uh, dealing more with uh, employment and, and some things like that. Uh, a lot of issues, actually, but it's very big. So this is, this is going to continue, and we're going to see it applied in a number of different ways. Moving on, we got some news from the seminaries. Got a, quite a few little nuggets here from seminaries from around the SBC. We're going to start over with you at Southeastern, Amy. Your partnership in Brazil is uh, starting to see some fruits of your efforts down there. Yes, this was very exciting. So this has been a partnership for a while. Uh, it, it's a, a cohort that is connected with our Global Theological Initiative, um, and it's uh, that cohort was with the Brazilian Baptists, and so it's a partnership with Brazilian Baptist Convention's mission boards, and um, we, you know, brought this group of students, uh, people who are leaders and teachers in Brazil through to get MTS degrees, Master of Theological Studies. So this is a program that's been going on for a while, and we've been partnering with Brazil for a while. Well, this was their graduation. So it was a really, really exciting time. Uh, Dr. Aiken went down there, Dr. John Ewart, who is over the uh, Global Theological Initiative program, and they had a great trip uh, overall, a lot of things. There was another story that uh, came out not long ago about some of the other things they did on that trip to Brazil. But this was a wonderful, wonderful uh, sort of culmination to that cohort getting to actually walk across the stage. And uh, the second cohort's already underway. Uh, plans for a third are uh, happening right now, are, are starting soon. That's really cool. And sticking with that Portuguese theme, uh, over in Portugal, the Portuguese Baptist Convention and the Portuguese Seminary has partnered with First Baptist Church Warren, Texas, as well as Southwestern Seminary uh, for a partnership that uh, basically Southwestern and FBC Warren will aid the Portuguese Seminary in such areas as a library and IT development and strengthening the degree offerings and course instruction. So uh, a kind of a multinational partnership here going on at, at both seminaries. And uh, yes. both happen to be just speaking Portuguese. Yes. Um, yeah. And it, there are a lot of similarities in it. And it's a great thing because it demonstrates uh, what our seminaries are able to do in the world, how they're able to affect um, other, uh, not just that we're sending missionaries overseas, but that we're actually able to help a lot of these groups um, on, on their own. These uh, seminaries who are placed overseas help assist them out of the resources that we have. So it's a fantastic thing every time we get to see uh, the impact around the world. Finally, over in Kansas City at Midwestern Seminary, they have announced a partnership with the ERLC to uh, produce a doctoral studies program 
and Christian ethics. You can find out more about that 52-credit-hour modular PhD in biblical studies with an ethics emphasis over at the link that we provide at sbcthisweek.com. And speaking of Midwestern, we've got an interview this week with Karen Allen, the first lady of Midwestern Seminary. Joining us today on SBC This Week is Karen Allen. Karen is the wife to Jason Allen. He's the president of Midwestern Seminary up in Kansas City. Uh, Karen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Now, we uh, we talked a little bit before the interview started. You've got five kids. I have four. So big families, fun times, a lot of things going on. But what's it like raising a, a big family on a seminary campus? You know, I feel like it's a little bit of heaven on earth, uh, Jonathan. Um, it's a one place where I just almost feel like my backyard is extended to others. And so my kids, um, they actually view, you know, the backyard of my house. That's up to the, the seminary campus. It's adjacent to it. And it's a really sweet place for my kids to be able to ride their bikes and play with their friends and ride bikes and play, you know, a little game of, of, uh, football or go see, um, their dad in the afternoons and um my, trust me they know which secretaries have good candy and which ones that do not <laughs> and uh, they can usually be found at lifeway at the end of the day eating testaments and watching some veggie tales um but i will say just the seminary community in and of itself is a really sweet place because um, most of them have really young kids um and most of them are really on a tight budget so it's really sweet to be able to open each other's homes up and to have kids i mean there's many times i will go upstairs and there'll be kids playing a game of hide-and-go-seek, you know, and just having a good time with my kids are playing Legos. And it's, it's really sweet to open up your your homes for one another uh, and to help raise each other's kids in a sweet way. I mean, we're not um, trying to teach other kids, uh, you know, as far as academic stuff, but it, it, it's really fun to be able to, to do life together as far as it, I mean my dad and, and have a good time as far as um, – for instance, you know, a mom called me yesterday and said, hey, your son mentioned that he loved to play basketball. Can, can we get together? And I thought, absolutely. And so, you know, we can just meet up right here. It's like we live on the same backyard that we can meet up and do those types of things. So it's, it's a really sweet thing to be able to do life with other Christians that have the same uh, values as we do and um, really kind of guard your children. So it's, it's nice. Now, Dr. Allen was elected a little bit over three years ago as the president there, so you've had about three years. And I know just from afar, we've seen the seminary transform remarkably in that time, in those three years. What's it been like kind of being in there and seeing it firsthand uh, as your husband has led Midwestern to these new heights? Uh, It's been really sweet to see how when our kids came, they were ages 9 to 3, um, to see how this is not something that dad does and this is not something that mom helps dad with, but this is something we get to do together. And so it's been uh, a true blessing for our kids to see this. This is our ministry that the Lord has given us. Um, and so, you know, dad does travel some and mom is gone some from the house and we open up our house a lot to different events and to people and to causes. But um, it's what the Lord has given our family. And so our kids, we try to incorporate our kids with this as much as possible. And so it's been a tremendous blessing to our family. And I'll say this, it's been neat to watch this seminary grow as much as it's been watch, neat to watch my family grow. So I hear my kids um, to understand really what it means for a man to be called to, into the ministry or to meet a, a missionary couple Um, And so it's been really sweet to see as we've all had our shoulder basically against the plow. You know, our kids have made sacrifices. Everything from our boys gave up taking, doing um, 
you know, a football league. And because we just couldn't do everything, especially with dad trying to travel and me trying to um, sanity going in the home. And so there were some sacrifices that were made because we had to lean in heavily to this our first few years here. But I'll say the Lord has been so good. He has blessed the seminary, but he's blessed our family because my kids have um, a greater view of what it means to be in the ministry now than they did when we came. And to understand um, God's call on a person, um, whether it means vocationally or just to lift a Christian life and to grow in His Word and the understanding of His Word. They have such a deep appreciation for that and respect for people because they, they interact with these people. Now, they live basically on the same campus, and they meet these professors, and it, it's a really sweet thing to watch them um, them have this unique opportunity, and it's really a neat thing for us. I tell my kids all the time, we are so blessed to get to do this in the Lord, given us this opportunity. And so there are challenges with that, everything from when, you know, I have to need to travel with my husband, but I will say the Lord has blessed us. I mean, we, we, have, we have labored. My husband has worked, you know, harder than... We probably expected he would need to, but I will say um, the Lord has blessed it and given us fruits beyond our, our labors. Yeah, and one of the things that you've done, though, on campus there is launching the Midwestern Women's Institute. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. It's about two years old and just kind of started whenever you guys got there. Yeah, my, my, my heart was for, for the women on this campus. And, and I incorporated single ladies um, in with the, the married ladies as well. Because I just felt like a lot of these ladies are here, and um, it, it sometimes it is much as what you what you catch, as much as what you've caught, as what it's taught. I will say, and um, and I wanted these ladies to to be um, to their their roots to run deep, like Psalms one says, and I wanted them to be able to have the opportunity to meet some of these professors' wives and to. Mm-hmm. When they are gone, have the opportunity to to continue to converse with them and email them and and ask them, you know, I'm going through this situation. And so I wanted relationships built, but I also wanted for them to grow in God's Word, and I tried to mesh those two the best I can. And so um, we offer classes on Monday and Thursday evenings, and then we also do one during the day on, on Tuesdays as well, periodically. And we came up with a course. Um, where it's basically the the ladies, it, I tried to make it um, just because everyone's on such a tight budget, usually in seminary, the classes are $10 for six weeks, and we offer free child care. So it's a total blessing to Yeah, them. that's fantastic. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it, it, you know, I told it's a, basically a ministry that we run for the ladies here because um, I, we couldn't think of charging, you know, a per semester hour for them, but they are taught by some of the same professors. So like this semester right now, Actually, tonight, Jason Dusing will, will teach on Adonai Judson, and each night um, during this church history course, they're taught by one of our professors, the Christian George, start open to the course with Charles Spurgeon, and, you know, they'll have a George Whitfield, and they will look at Carl F. H. Henry. They'll look at several different people that are great figures in church history, and I think what a unique opportunity for them to have that, to be taught by their professors. And then we also have a lot of professors' wives who will come along and teach classes that are very practical um, so they'll take everything from a New Testament and Old Testament survey, but I'll teach a pastor's wife class 101 for those that are going, that'll be in that. And then we'll have a missionary wife's class. And then um, stuff to really help them prepare when they feel like their ground 
uh, their feet hit the ground running whenever they leave this campus and they are in that ministry context. They feel prepared, but they also have us as a resource that they can contact us in the future if they need that as well. So <clears throat> I'm excited. And it takes the ladies about two years to complete the course uh, of study. And uh, they'll actually will have our first graduate in May this year. So I'm really excited. Well, that's very cool. Um, and finally, yeah. I know a lot of people listen to this have kids in the ministry. You know, they're in the ministry. They have kids in the ministry. What are just some of the things that you've kind of learned over the years with, you know, having a husband, raising kids in the ministry? Uh, just some of the things, the takeaways that you could pass on to some of the listeners. You know, I would say the biggest thing is is not to make this um, your ministry, per se. You know, my husband, I wasn't, first of all, I wasn't raised. Um, my, no one in my family had ever been in the ministry, and so I really didn't know how to do this. And so we just kind of stumbled on it where, you know, I, I wanted to be with my husband as much as possible. So, like, we took our kids to, uh, with us, even as toddlers, on visitation, you know, on you know, Tuesday night was visitation, and we would do church member visitation, and then we would do it, take them with us to the hospital for visitation. We ended up just kind of carrying our kids with us whenever we could, so they got where they enjoyed. You know, we would stop and get ice cream on the way home from the hospital, or small things like that. But it was it was our family ministering together. This is not something that Dad did, or this is the ministry was never something that took Dad away from us. Um, but it was something that we did together as a family, and I would just encourage. Um, moms, because you are really the one that to to give that tone in the family, whether, you know, if you're having dinner and someone knocks on your door, you know, and you're living in that parsonage, um, you can, you can pray, you can easily say, well, you know, these people are taking dad away from us. But in a different mindset, you can say, dad's getting to have a unique opportunity to minister these people. Let's pray for them and, and try to in any way join a part of that. And so I would just encourage ladies that it, it ministry can be tiring at times. It can be tough. It can be mentally exhausting because especially if you have a spouse that's busy and, 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 you know, juggling many different plates. But I will just say as much as you can to try to do it together. Um, I think that is the key. I think that we see, you know, the family as a unit so much in scripture. And I think when, um, and it comes to ministering together, I'm not the co-pastor. I'm not anything like that, but I will say, I try to, um, undergird my husband's ministry and everything he does. And that includes our kids being on board and as part of that as much as possible. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. We look forward to seeing you in St. Louis later this summer at the Southern Baptist Convention Annual Meeting. Thanks so much again, Karen. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. Thank you for that interview. Um, always appreciate uh, the work that they're doing, but appreciate Karen. I don't know, uh, I don't know if she would even remember this, but years ago when they... Uh, first came from Alabama to Louisville, Kentucky as students. They visited our church, and we were the greeters for that evening. And I think there was an ice cream fellowship after or something like that, and uh, they they sat with us, and we got to visit. And so it's fun thinking back on that, uh, that we had no idea that we would kind of interact in, in this way for years to come. Hey, that's a good idea, visiting churches whenever they have ice cream fellowships. I, I've got I've to write that one down. I'm sure they didn't know, but it worked out. Uh, the timing was very good. Fortuitous <laughs> so, there. Yeah, really appreciate her and uh, and what she what she does there at Midwestern. And so, thanks for that interview. All right, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, let's go back to 1834. Woo! Yeah, way um, back. Yes, we are are, are going to look at Horse March. And buggy, 20- way back. 
Yes. So March 29th, uh, in 1834, near Bastrop, Texas, I hope I'm saying Bastrop, that right. Yes. Uh, the very first Baptist church in Texas was organized. Wow. Yeah. So 1834 was kind of the beginning um, of that. There was a group that had come down from Illinois and had moved to Texas uh, as a body from Illinois in January 1834. But in March 1834, it was the very first congregation that was actually formed in Texas. It was called Providence Church. 12 miles south of Bastrop under the uh, leadership of Zachariah Morrell. So he was, and, and he was kind of a big deal among early Texas Baptists. So, well, yeah, I, I guess he kind of was. He was the pastor of all the Texas Baptists. Yes. Yes, I guess so. So when uh, when we talk about the uh, BGCT, obviously, I mean, their history is, is, is long. And then uh, the SBTC, uh, it all began this week in SBC history with the very first Baptist church to be organized in the state of Texas. So that makes me wonder how you found that, because there was no Baptist paper covering that in 1834. Well, um, a Baptist paper in 1958, Baptist Press, uh, just did a story on it. They were doing a story on Texas Baptists, and they started out their story with, uh, since the first Baptist church in Texas was organized in March 29th in 1834, the history has been marked by continued growth. And so it was this story on Texas Baptists, and uh, they had that little nugget. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. All right. A reminder that our podcast this week is sponsored by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary's new 81-hour MDiv program. It prepares students to take the gospel to their neighbors and the nations. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there. For more information, visit sebts.edu slash mdiv. All right. Uh, resource of the week. Your resource of the week, Amy, is? My new favorite TV show. Okay, Supergirl. No, no. Uh, it's a CNN series that is uh, called Race for the White House. It airs on Sundays at nine p.m., but they do have reruns playing all the time, so I make sure I have everything taped. Uh, it's an original series that every week they focus on a presidential election in American history, and they capture sort of the drama of the entire thing. It's a each show's an hour long, so it's documentary style, but it's not. Uh, doesn't take up just a ton of time. Kevin Spacey uh, is the narrator for it, and uh, it is fascinating. I, I've learned so much. We think things are crazy now, which they are, but they've been pretty crazy. The The Lincoln-Douglas episode, uh, I, there were things I had no idea, and uh, so there was a very interesting trick pulled at the Republican convention for that particular election year uh, that has just really fascinated me. So I love it. I catch every episode. All right. One more piece of news here. Man's impressive book collection, entirely ornamental. I uh, found this earlier this week, Amy. I, I'm not sure that's a real story, Jonathan. Oh, that's right. It's from the Babylon Bee, my resource of the week. Uh, the Babylon Bee is a new website out there now doing uh, Christian satire news. It's kind of like the Christian onion, for lack of better terms. Uh, but a fantastic resource, especially on today, which is April 1st, April Fool's Day, that we're dropping this podcast. So uh, the Babylon Bee, pretty hilarious website that uh, really captures the essence of all things that are kind of funny and Christian at the same time. So uh, I would yes. recommend that uh, it's it's worth a follow, worth checking out. So Yeah, and uh, a great use. I mean, satire actually has a great role in sort of 
uh, discourse, and it's a, a very well done use of that. But uh, that's a great resource to be putting out on April 1st, Jonathan. Yes, that's why I picked it. So, yeah, very good. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we are going to start our presidential podcast interviews next week uh, with J.D. Greer. We have J.D. Uh, already taped. We have Steve Gaines already taped. And we are taping an interview this week with David Crosby. So we'll have all of those ready for you. You'll be able to hear from the candidates about their thoughts on the SBC and its future and uh, just kind of where we're headed and where they would uh, kind of take us as a president of the SBC. So be sure to tune into those in the next few weeks. And thanks again to Karen Allen for coming on the show this week. Appreciate everything uh, that she is doing up at Midwestern and her husband, Dr. Jason Allen, the president of Midwestern, uh, has done a great job up there in Kansas City. And uh, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week. See you next week.